You're tuned in to RX Radio. Movement prescribed. Brought to you by Prescript.com. A personalized approach to keeping you healthy and making your best even better. Your hosts, Dr. Jordan Shallow and Dr. Jordan Jinta. Alright, so this one's a special one, and we actually mean it this time, um, because we have a female on the show. And we're not proud of the statistics, but we are, if nothing else, aware that this is, I think, the second. I don't know if I'm missing anyone. I believe it's only the second. The second. We've had Steffi yeah. on twice. Yeah. Um, and then Jill Coleman will now be our third. If you guys can think of any... Okay. I did a podcast. I was on a... I've done a couple of females' podcasts. And like, I don't want to start a whole fucking gender thing here. <laughs> but I was on one. Uh, Mind Pump did that thing out in Tahoe. That <laughs> podcast heart event. And I was on one. And I don't want to name the name. I'm sure if anyone like has heard it, they know. But, man, the amount of times I heard the word or saw the word posted toxic masculinity after the episode we put up, it was bad, dude. I was getting like, like I mean, uh, how threatening is so, a threatening DM from so like a 100-pound girl with a cyber bullied? Well, that's, It's like it's only bullying us if you accept it. Like <laughs> if I respect you enough that your opinion matters, then yeah, I guess it's bullying. But I don't because you have a Pat Benatar haircut, so fuck yourself. <laughs> It's just like, and not that that's a deterrent as to why, but it's just like, uh, like we we cross the aisle. We're not averse to it. It's just most people in front of us are like dudes. I don't know. <laughs> and that, uh, Ashley Van Houten, we one we get soon. Ashley's really cool. So she does Muscle Maven Radio on um, Barbell Shrugged or Shrug Collective now. Yeah. Because it's 2019 Shrugged Collective. Come on, fellas, Anders, what are you guys doing over there? Barbell Shrugged. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so Jill Coleman is, she used to be a bodybuilder, not like, uh, what was it, like a physique competitor, not like the the, the big ones. I'm so bad at that. You're, <laughs> but you're worse than you did. I'm way worse, yeah. Um, but right now, Jill um, does online coaching and then she does uh, exercise programming as well. Um, so the nice thing with Jill when it comes to like the coaching side of things is she knows the fitness industry. She went through the rigor of training and competing and doing all that. So she kind of knows the ins and outs and the pitfalls. I find most people in the business space just know business and they see an opportunity in fitness, right? Right. Like, what's that guy? Lopez? Tyler? Who's the guy who comes on with like the selfie video before your YouTube? Like you're watching something on YouTube? I have no idea. These guys like... Are you talking like Saved by the Bell, Mario Lopez? No, I don't, he- <laughs> I don't think he's doing well. I don't, I don't know if Mario's <laughs> in a good place. Like this guy, I think his name's Ty Lopez. Uh, no it's fucking like, idea that fucking, is. He's some fucking online charlatan douchebag. But he'll yeah. like take a selfie video of himself and has like got a library full of books. And then he like subtly pans to like seven Lamborghinis in his garage. <laughs> like, I see what you did there. Real, real <laughs> subtle there, homie. Uh, but no, most people see <clears throat> the fitness industry and the amount of money that's floating around. And they just, they look at it as a business opportunity. It's not really like a, like a passion project. Right. So she's kind of come at it from the opposite angle where she's like, in the industry wanted to stay in it and that's i think a, a wedge for most people is like they want to stay in health and fitness but they have no fucking idea how to make money like yeah. personal trainers or fuck even like chiropractors pt strength coaches they want like that's where their heart is but they have no idea how to monetize it 
ourselves included <laughs> as we sit on our trusty plastic fucking deck chairs. Yep. Um, but no, she's really good at kind of bridging that gap and she does a lot of online work with clients and crushes it. It's awesome. Sick place, Manhattan Beach. Like, I couldn't throw a stone and hit the beach. Well, some, a real man killed me. Stones <laughs> throw from, from the beach in Manhattan. So we um, sat down, had a chat. Um, she's cool. She's, she's got really interesting perspective and she's very like, I try and get her to go like a little off, a little off the rails, but she's she's very professional, which is we need <laughs> slightly more. disappointing. Oh, I think no, we we're going that yeah, other way. We need more of that in our <laughs> podcast. We need more professionalism. And yeah. if you guys can think of anyone, like oh, if there's any girls listening, <laughs> you laugh at the idea. It's like there's no, there's no, no way. that no. we lost that. What was that episode? It was like episode eighty-seven. It was like Nazis and rape culture. It was like okay, we're gonna we're gonna. We're going to part the sea here. We're going to see who's really the ride or dies. Um, No, uh, reach out. Let us know. Tag us on Instagram or whatever. Anyone you think might be interesting to have on the podcast. Um, That's not just two dudes sitting in deck chairs. Yeah. Um, But yeah, yeah, Jill Coleman, great conversation. Uh, All all her information uh, at Jill Fit on Instagram, all that stuff will be in the show notes. Ratings, reviews. Yep, send them in. We don't want to be sitting next to... Sex with keto paleo guys, paleo sex with keto dudes, or whatever the fuck <laughs> the podcast world is becoming. Oh um, fuck! But yeah, that's it. We'll see you next time. I wanted to dive into this first: the bookshelf. Oh, yeah. Could you give me a top three? Yep. Um. So probably, are you familiar with Byron Katie's work? No. Okay. So she's she's like a kind of like a woo woo, but she's like first of all she's like seventy five years old. She's like your grandmother, but she um. She does it very, uh, like, down-to-earth. It's not like Eckhart Tolle or anything like that. She does it very much, like, reality-based. So um, so she's very much about, like, loving what is. She calls The book is called Loving What Is. Um, and it really helped me through a lot of my, like, those kind of things where, like, could be a lot of emotional attachment to just go, like, actually, what's the reality of the situation and, like, becoming okay with that. Um, so I also love To Sell as Human by Daniel Pink. Of course you do. Yeah, I'm surprised is, that wasn't. It's a marketing one. book, but it's all about kind of like, you know, transparency, authenticity, um, and normalizing, asking for the sale, which all of us are marketers, whether we identify as one as we were always selling a, a point of view or we're selling a perspective or we're selling something. So all of us are salespeople. And I would say probably like the obstacles away. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Ryan Holiday. Yeah. Big fan. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah awesome. That's... Do you read Ego as Enemy? I did. Okay. Actually, no, I listen to Ego. So I have a system now. So I'll read two books at once and listen to two books at once. Oh, nice. Well, Why is that I, a system? I, I travel so much. Okay. Because right? you need to have someone And then them. I get bored. So I, I travel and I have a short attention span. So I feel like this constant cycling of ideas and genres and mediums in which to digest information helps me constantly be like reading in some capacity something. Yeah. I'll always have like maybe one business book in rotation, one like more personal development. And I don't know. I actually wrote a novel in 2013. What? Yeah. About what? It was, a, ro- we, it was can, a romance can novel. Can we just promote this? Could that be the yeah. whole podcast? It's 82,000 words. Excuse the fuck me? <laughs> what? Yeah. Is this like Fifty Shades of Jill? Yep. Like, come on. Totally. I feel so uncomfortable reading that, getting to know you. <laughs> yeah. I would I would be able to do it. That's so... Sh- I know. Just, what yeah. was the motivation behind that? I don't know. I was at the time where Fifty Shades had just come out and it was like, I was just reading a lot of romance and I never had before, but I was reading a lot of like... Uh, 
sci-fi and fantasy and stuff like that. And I was just like, you know what? This shit isn't that hard. So basically I treated it like a job for like six weeks, like six months. I showed up at a coffee shop, like Monday through Friday and wrote for like a few hours. And I had a whole outline and stuff. And then by the time I just wanted, it was like manifesting anything, right? It's like, you just want to see this scene on a page, whatever that is. You want to have the story exist in the world. And it was a story so different than the one I was living at the time. I was married for 10 years and lived in kind of a small town in North Carolina. And it was like, this is totally outside the box. And like, let me see if I can just like put it. I got really fucking uncomfortable writing it at times. And um, I'd send pieces to my friends and stuff like that. But for the most part, I didn't tell anyone about it. I was like, this is fucking weird. Like in the moment, I like knew it was weird as I was doing it. Now I'm much more proud of it. And I'm like, damn, that's a fucking like big deal. The writing's terrible. It's what's all right. Let's talk about the genre here for a second. I have made I have a friend of mine, actually, one of my old neighbors uh, back in Canada. He comes from a family of five or sorry, four physicians. Both his parents are anesthesiologists and his four uh, brothers and sisters are doctors to some some in some avenue and he's a, he's a male model and that's his specialty is the cover of Harlequin novels. That's hilarious. So I wonder if he's not on the cover. Of I had a lot book. of like when I was doing fitness modeling and comp- competitions, like a lot of those dudes would make money doing that kind of stuff. That's so strange. Because you had to be like fit too. You had to like have a six pack. So you just like kind of wrote like Jill Fit Sex in the City. Is that kind of it? It wasn't. It was Fifty Shades. It was straight up like if you can see, see the look she's giving me right now it's like trying to find a better word other I'm than just like i wanted to tell you but yeah i mean it was just like yeah it was it was dirty i really apologize well that might be the best marketing tool you've ever employed every one of our like every Dude, one do of you our know listeners. that that um a lot of like housewives and i don't know if you're supposed to say it anymore but like stay at home like full-time moms you can say it that's your guy's uh, word i can't say we're i mean maybe just women in general they're like sex lives are much improved by 50 shades i mean the, the writing is terrible it's so fantasy it's like actually not it could never even be i don't know if you've read it but did you read a part Take of a it wild guess i'm sure no. you didn't but i could see you reading it just for like context academic purposes yeah just like really? research recon. i have the internet like, <laughs> i don't need that well it's just interesting i mean it's like what number one like best-selling women's back of all time or definitely number one best-selling romance and there has to be something to that right i i'm going i always go like where's momentum and i'm like why is momentum over there what is that and to me it speaks to like i don't know just like the desperation for connection or whatever that is I and mean, even even though it was like the, the storyline was ridiculous but i'm like what is that Okay, as, even though the writing is terrible, as perhaps someone who's been privy to excerpts of the book unknowingly and unwillingly, yeah, how could you not be? By the way, seems to me like a counter movement to the also strong and momentum building movement of women's rights, and uh, it, I feel like that book set back the suffragette movement like twenty, thirty years. You know, but, on the surface, it definitely had that potential where he's like very controlling and like very like you do this and that, and um. But it also speaks to, and this is a nuanced conversation that Danny and I have been having a little bit on the podcast lately, is like women, like they like power, like they like powerful men, right? So like even though- You can't even say that. There's no way in the current landscape you can get away with saying that. I've just said it. I know you just said it. No, you can't say it, but like, okay, I'll give you an example, right? (laughs) It's like men saying- I don't like needy women, right? Like I don't want a woman who's needy. I want her to be doing her own thing. And then we always come across these examples of men who were like, she didn't need me. And then like they do like they do something else because like, well, she didn't need me or like whatever. And it's the same thing with a strong woman. You hear man, men say, you know, I want a strong woman, but then like not too strong though. Yeah, or I want a man who's vulnerable, but actually don't cry because that's not attractive, right? Like, so it's all these kind of nuanced 
It's like what you're supposed to say versus what biologically we find attractive. I'll be the first to tell you, like, I want to feel like feminine in my relationship. You know, like I am a strong woman, but I also want like my dude to be a dude. Like that's, and that's my personal preference. And I think that you can be emotionally available without being like weepy and like, like too overly emotional and like complaining and stuff like that. Interesting. I feel bad. I mean, not that I feel bad for men, but like in a sense, like you guys, you have a lot to consider. And I think that that's valid, by the way. And yeah. I think as women, we have a lot to consider as well. Like we're not off the hook, but I do, you know, I just, I am, I cheer for everyone to evolve. In the current landscape, it seems to me as if you need to bring as a guy a lot more to the table than a female does. Is that fair? I think we're talking about, I don't know that it's so much. Yes, I do think so. Because it's not about equality, it's about equity. And that's oh, a little, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, yeah, it's like, no, cool. I totally like, understand Like, that. it's like, cool. Like, things maybe you haven't had to think about in the past. Like, you might have to be inconvenienced, like, a tiny bit yeah. to make things more equitable. And it just, and I really respect people who are willing to do that. But also, like, still do the things that, like, you want to do. Like, you want to be aggressive and you want to, like, lift fucking weights. You want to, like, yell and you want to, like, whatever that is for you. And not everyone's like that. But, like, for me, I still, I want to be able to be a strong woman. I also want to be, you know, feminine. I want, like, my dude to be a dude and, like, whatever that means. Where does, like, where does that wantingness to be a strong woman come from? Is that something that you were raised into or is that something you, is that a personal thing? Is that a social pressure thing or is it a combination? I think or? it's a byproduct of the sports to be honest. Okay. Like I think just growing up playing sports, like you kind of develop a resiliency and a confidence because you just rack up more experiences of losing and getting your ass kicked and, and you have to kind of, you know, it doesn't matter. You can show up and like be the best shape of your life and still get your ass kicked. And I think there's something that is, that feeds your uh, self-efficacy because of that, so you go like, oh, maybe I could do this thing over here. And it gives you that self-trust and that confidence to try other things. And over time, you become stronger as a result of seeing yourself elevate and be in different scenarios and be successful. And even when you're not successful, you can, you have the ability to overcome that. And I think that that's not benign. Now, as someone as who I mean, deals a lot in coaching and a lot of your clientele, as we alluded to earlier, is females. And in conversations we've had outside the podcast, how do you impart that on people where you've experienced that that wantingness to be powerful through so many years of experience and competing in all sorts of sports? How do you then sit down with the, the housewife, air quote housewife, please don't sue RX Radio. Thank you to Ashley Boardman at uh, Silicon Valley Law for keeping us out of judicial issues up until this point. But how do you pursue that? And, and impart that on people without them having to walk the miles you've walked in your shoes. Yeah. Like. I do think that there's value in having like a surrogate, like having like someone who can be in your corner who has had the experience, who can go, cool, like you're right where you need to be or like manage your expectations around it. That's why I'm a huge fan of obviously having a coach because they, they have had more experience. They can see angles that you just by nature can't see yet. And so having someone be able to walk you that walk you through that path just to even go what you're feeling is normal I think helps get you to the point where you feel more confident. When did you or have you pursued coaching in the current realms that you coach in? Uh, no. But doesn't that make you such a better coach though? Because like, I think you're in a position across like a lot of disciplines as someone that should be listened to because you've like, oh, fuck, did that wrong. 
And you totally. figured it out. Dude, there's no way of getting of getting around reps. And like honestly, this is one of the things I say. So I so for everyone I, I coach like uh mostly women, some men, on business in like personal branding space. So for example, if you are a personal trainer, health coach, maybe you have gone to one Jordan seminars and you're like, cool, I want to leverage my knowledge, my expertise, my experience on the internet to potentially coach people at a distance. I want to get out of the gym, not spend as much hours like FaceTime and I want to do. So you know, I've been doing internet business now for 10 years and I have people who have been doing it for like three months who are frustrated and I get it because it's not always easy, especially if it doesn't come natural to you. But like being upset that it's not happening fast enough three months in is insulting to me personally because I've been doing it for 10 years. And so you have to, on some level go like, yeah, I need to put like more skin in the game. I need to just, I need more reps. I need to get to that point. And you have to settle in and you have to like, like it on some level and you have to see it as a journey. And it can't just be always like, I'm so desperate to get out of my job. I hate my job so much. I have to do this. And so I think to answer your question, yes, there's no getting around having your own experience and racking up the clinical hours to see the things. Cause you, you don't know what's going to work. People say, well, I don't want to try this because what if it doesn't work? I'm like, we don't actually fucking know if it's going to work. The only way we're going to know if it's work, if you do it. You'll know what a year from now looks like in a year. And there's a level of trust, self-trust that like is okay. You're okay walking out on that ledge and not knowing what's going to happen because you trust yourself to handle whatever outcome transpires. Do you feel like their ceiling as clients is limited to the ceiling that you've attained? Or not even to say that you're you're Mm -hmm. out of ceiling now because I don't think you are. But do you feel like people who pursue that and who don't, you know, who don't navigate those reps um, with, without any external motivators, do you feel like their ceiling is limited because of that crutch of having you there to be like, all right, let's fucking stay the course here. No one lose their shit. Let's, let's just stick to the program. You're fine. Everything's fine. You know how I know you're fine? Because I did all this shit without a me. If I had a me, you do all these, like, do you feel, whoa, that's why we do podcasts, Jill. <laughs> but like, do you feel like that in some way? And maybe that's the clientele that you're speaking to. It's like they don't want, you know, a, a six, seven-figure income. They just want to supplement, you know, for their family or anything like that. I think it's a combination. I think you need to know your audience. And most of mine are be, would be happy to make a couple extra thousand dollars a month online. Like that's their kind of, um, yes, to answer your question, I do feel like my model is a ceiling to some people, could be a ceiling to some people. Um, but... I also am very much a fan of graduation. Like we're like we're not supposed to be working together anymore. I work with on average people for probably two to three years. And you know, as a coach, like you're on to the next one. Like do whatever the next thing is for you. Like if you're here, you're always going to be limited by what I can see, the potential that I can see, or even what I've experienced. So yes, I do think that at some point it's time to move on. And it's always a balance with any kind of coaching, right? Like you ask yourself as a coach, am I being a crutch for my client? I had this moment early on in Jill Fit. We started in 2010 and we were doing meal plans and workout programming at the time, all one-on-one. I didn't know anything else about business. So I was like, cool, I can do what I'm doing in person online. And it was still time for money because I still was getting home from the gym at nine o'clock at night and having to like write programs and get on Skype with people and answer emails and stuff. Um, so still a ceiling there. But we noticed about like a year and a half in that people, our clients, because they were competitors, we're getting a lot of people up on stage at the time they couldn't go to the grocery store without texting us like 20 times. And I was like, and as much as I wanted to like complain about it and I was like, who, like, why would, I was like, this is my problem. Like I did this, right? Like we did this. We, we made these people dumber. That's what I, I thought. And I was making people more neurotic and that's why we got out of that space. Cause I was like, I'm facilitating this person being uh, more dependent on me and that's not a good thing. And so 
from there, we totally switched to the point where like we got a lot more boundaried and we would tell people ahead of time and manage their expectations that like, hey, if you have a question about something and it's like 10 o'clock at night, do your best and like, let's debrief tomorrow. And so we had these kind of like, I would let questions breathe a lot longer so they could figure it out themselves and like really kind of struggle through something. So the goal wasn't always to get it right. The goal was to have the full experience, whatever that looked like. And so, yeah, I mean, and I try and take that into my business coaching too. Now, being in the position you're in now and kind of seeing your blind spots retroactively, almost not vicariously, but sort of vicariously through the experience of your clients, how is it that with your own personal growth, whether it's in business or otherwise, how do you approach like perhaps looking at coaching? Like, do you have a coach now in business? Do you have a coach? No, still all you. I don't have. So I did actually, so the story I actually did um, hire a coach uh, in 2012 at that time. So I had shared that we got to the point where we had the single business model. It was just time for money, but it was on the internet. Still, I had five coaches working for me. They were all completely booked out. I was completely booked out. We had like 150 clients at, at one time. And um, I didn't know how to do anything else. And at this point, I was like, okay, I have to figure out how to automate or create a course or do something. And I don't know how to do that. And there wasn't, this is like early days of internet business. So there was a few people doing it, but no, none was really accessible. So I reached out to, as one does on social media, to a someone who was in my space, Rachel Cosgrove. Do you know Rachel and Alan Cosgrove? No. Okay. Um, Rachel Cosgrove, she was like probably like five years ahead of where I wanted to be. She had a couple of books out. She was writing for Women's Health at the time. She was like kind of where I wanted to be. And it was funny because at that time I was following a lot of competitors and I was like looking at these competitors and I was like, oh, like I don't think they really have the career trajectory that I desire. I mean, they're beautiful, have amazing bodies, getting up on stage, getting in magazines, but like that's not what I want. I want to have some some longevity. So I reached out to Rachel and I said, hey, I'm interested in doing, she didn't know me. I said, I'm interested in doing some business coaching. Do you do that? I didn't even know if she did it. And she responded back and she said, hey, Jill, email my assistant and she'll get you set up. So I emailed her assistant and she said, sure, Rachel can do a 30-minute consult with you for $375. And I was like, holy What fuck. year is this? 2012. 2011. 2011. Go to the movies for a nickel in 2011. <laughs> and I was like, so at first I was like, is she crazy, right? Like, of course. I mean, I'm, I don't have that money. But I was like, you know what? If she can charge that, I have to figure out how to charge that. So I paid it up, PayPal, whatever. She, um, you know, gave me some like interesting nuggets and gave me some perspective during the call. I don't even remember what she said. Then pitched me at the end of the call, as one does, into her year-long mastermind for ten thousand dollars. I mean, you know, I first I was like, she fucking crazy. Like, who has that kind of money? I didn't even have a credit card that had a limit, <laughs> a spending limit of ten thousand. And I was like, holy shit. So I was like, okay, sounds good. I'll let you know, blah, blah, blah. Got off the phone. No. And I was like still really struggling. And at the time, my then husband, it was two weeks later, and he was like, Jill, we have to figure out a way to get you that money. Like you have to do this. Like something needs to change because he knew I was just like at a standstill with the business. And so I actually launched my very first business coaching program and I made $17,000 and I paid Rachel and I felt like I was rich. It was a year long program. I got 14 people to give me $100 a month for a year straight. And it was actually business and physique and mindset. So I actually had a couple of girls get up on stage. Like I was doing like coaching with them, physique type stuff. And then I said, you know, I don't know everything there is to know about business, but at that point, Jill Fit was a six figure business. And I was like, I can at least teach people what I did. And so, yeah, I didn't know everything, but I knew enough that I could teach the model at that time was blogging. I blogged, I, I did 700 articles in like two years. And I was like, I can at least teach people how to do this. And we grew readership kind of like podcasting now. And um, so I taught that and that was how I got started. But here's the interesting thing. In that coaching program that I paid for, 
I actually don't even, I don't think I really even learned anything. Maybe a couple nuggets, like a couple little like gems here and there, but it wasn't that, that got me to the next level of my business. It was handing over the cash. It was getting me to actually launch that program that I didn't know how to do, but I just pieced it together in order to make the money too. So it was just like that elevation and seeing myself as an investor, like, holy shit, like I'm now I'm, I have skin in the game, totally different versus before I was kind of like a DIY. I'll figure it out myself. I'll watch YouTube videos. Problem was I never did. And so it was really the investment of having to like bootstrap that cash and get it together and, and launch the program, put me on the hook to start acting like someone who wanted to elevate their business. So you don't regret that decision? No. Oh my God, it was amazing. How do you, and it's funny because like I never thought I would sit down with a business coach, let alone routinely sit down and meet with a business coach because it's I have such a fucking sour taste in my mouth. And I get bitter within my own industry and I know the ins and outs of it pretty well at this point. But how do you as someone who who does it on the up and up and like even before we even started recording, we talked about transparency marketing. Like you, what you see is what you get. How do you look left and look right in this space of business coaching and not go what the fuck are you guys saying right now such a good question i mean we see this everywhere right like whether it's business coaching nutrition coaching whatever it's like um i do you know just so people know most people on instagram buy their followers um also if you most business coaches don't actually make money until they start charging for business coaching. So I that's really important to me. Congruency and integrity is really important to me, especially in internet marketing, because if you don't have your integrity, like what do you have? Right. So like you have to be truthful. Um, a lot of people are not. And Jill Fit was a six-figure business just through fitness and nutrition coaching before we even launched business coaching. So to me, that's important versus I know a lot of people finally started making money once they decided they were business coach because they knew theory. And so, and that's fine, but for me, the congruency was extremely important and the integrity. And I know a lot of people who like will rent, um, I don't know, like Louis Vuitton bags for photo shoots to look as if they're living the lifestyle of, or they'll rent a car or they'll like, but they'll put that in their Instagram posts. Like it's theirs. Like it was my private jet. It's like, no, you rented that for an hour for like $10,000 whatever. You know what I mean? But they're doing that because perception, right? Because the perception is, oh, that person's living that lifestyle. They're buying Chanel. They're, you know, this, this, and this. And it's like, cool. I want that too. It's that aspirational kind of quality. And I just never did that. I always believed that you had to be authentic. You had to be relatable. Yes, you want there to be people to go like, oh, I can learn from Jill. That's always what I focused on. I don't want people to say, I want to be Jill. I wanted people to say, I want to learn from Jill. And so transparency to me, and, and you can't get away without trans, you have to be transparent in your marketing at this point because consumers are super fucking savvy. Like they're the smartest they've ever been. So traditionally, the selling model has been asymmetrical. So for example, let's just say something goes wrong with your car and you bring it to the mechanic and they quote you on something. Do you know if that's right? I'd be like, I guess. But in the back of our mind, what are we saying? We're like, I'm getting, we're just fucking getting ripped off, right? But how could we ever verify? So traditionally, the seller has always had more information than the buyer. So that's why we don't like sales. We always think we're getting ripped off because we just don't know enough. So transparency gives all the information to the potential buyer ahead of time so they know, they see all the angles, they know exactly what's happening, they know exactly what they're getting, there's no blindsiding. And so anytime I run some sort of free challenge or I have a lead magnet or something like that that gets people into my email list, I'm always gonna be selling on the back end and I always tell people ahead of time what exactly it is, how they can use it, how it's gonna benefit them. 
um, so that if they're not into that and like like being sold to scares them, then they can just get off the list. That's fine with me. So I think you really have to believe in your product for sure. And you have to be open to talking about it because people can sniff out bullshit faster than ever. I find in the fitness industry, like a lot of things based in theory don't fly and it's experience that sells. How much of going through the reps of creating Jill Fit from the, the grassroots of doing it all yourself, like being a competitor, going through navigating the fitness industry and rather than coming in like hey i got an mba oh there's an opportunity here like if you controlled like a jill mba nothing about fitness and a jill controlled no mba but has your current trajectory what do you think is more successful i think definitely clinical experience is more successful i mean i do think i mean here's the thing is i think when someone wants to become a personal trainer they go okay let me get the cert and like that takes them months or however long it takes them to get the certification they think like their job's done and i'm like that's the easy fucking part anyone get a certification you just study hard enough you can pass the test what's the hardest thing is actually coaching a client to success like get, giving someone a meal plan writing a program is easy shit it's just so easy that's not a skill right like yes there's nuances and things like that but then it's like, can you actually coach that client with their preferences, likes, dislikes, wants, scheduling, the weird psychological sensitivities, like whatever, like, can you get them to success taking into all of that into account? It's a puzzle. Same thing with business coaching. Someone comes to me and they have, um, you know, maybe their personal trainer for 15 years. They have a story of they lost a hundred pounds. They, you know, um, have these like weird fucked up ideas about sales. Like I have to take all of that and go like, cool, how can I help make this person successful? That's really where the coaching aspect comes in. And so you don't understand all those angles until you get more reps. And, and how to help people and how to be patient and all that kind of stuff. What was the catalyst that got you out of the gym and into like the, the mindset of someone who's going to pursue this as a career now? Um, I was not a, an entrepreneurial kind of like mind at all, ever. I was like very um, traditionally minded for a long time. Like kind of, I grew up really Catholic. I was like very involved in the church. So um, I was kind of like, oh, I just take things people say at face value and kind of like don't question things and very much like uh, not an independent thinker. And in college, I kind of just started giving a lot of that up. And it was actually meeting my ex-husband, who was very much like a visionary. He's an entrepreneur as well. Um, and I started like really questioning stuff. I was actually going to be going to uh, – I was going to be getting my doctor in physical therapy. And I was doing hours at their um, – at the hospital. You had to do like 40 hours or whatever, or more than that, like 140 hours of uh, volunteer and I remember it was three hours a week and I fucking hated it. I, I couldn't even make it three hours. I was like, how am I going to do this as a living? And I can't even like be here for three hours. And so after that, um, I started personal training. I stayed in fitness. I was the only person with my degree who like actually stayed in fitness. Everyone else went to like medical school or whatever. And um, I was like, to be honest, like just really good at aerobics. <laughs> and like from there, it spiraled into personal training and the competition stuff, especially in like the MySpace days no one really knew how to use social media. So if you did a show, you put all of your stage photos on MySpace and like you were like you were famous basically. And it was like, I was trying to get into magazines. I was trying to get tear sheets. I was trying to land covers. I was trying to do a lot of that stuff. And then I was so miserable. We talked about this on our podcast about how do you derive a sense of self-worth? Is it from your body? And at that time it was 100% on my body. I actually went back and got my master's in nutrition. And I remember my ex saying to me at one point, like, Jill, like, why are you so stressed about your body? Like you have a fucking master's in nutrition. Like, you know, biochemistry, like you can help people. You should be writing for these magazines, not being in them. 
And I was like, I couldn't hear it at the time because I was still so caught up in that physique and like needing to be a certain leanness and whatever. And then over time, I was like, you know what? I really want to be successful in business and I can't afford to do that if I'm like at the gym three times a day, eating seven times a day, like 100% focused on my body all the time in these ego pursuits. So I said, I really want to write for these magazines. And that's when I started just building my kind of online I was just in more online places and it was using social media to, to repel me. And I was like, cool, let me see if I can get out of the gym a little bit. And at this point I'm working 70 to eight hours a week in the gym. And I started blogging with no like idea of how I monetize it at all. But it, I had built a small following on social media because of the com- competition stuff. What was like the initial goal when you switched over? Cause like when you compete, it's easy. Yeah. Like I gotta be on Win. stage. You gotta be in shape. Win. Right. Yeah. How, how is it in this new landscape that you're like, I want to, do I want to be in more blogs? When you say the word blog, it totally dates yourself. You might as well just be etching in a stone <laughs> in corners of the internet. Dude, I think blogs are going to make a comeback. I think long-form content is making a comeback. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, podcasting I, is, podcasting, obviously. Yeah, I think yeah. that's definitely going to be a catalyst. Um, but how do you, like in this new space, how do you go, okay, I want this to be a, a, a benchmark of achievement now without really knowing what, what you're getting into? I knew that I felt claustrophobic in my in my local area, and I was like, you know what? I really want I like want to reach people outside my local area. I was just it was like fucking Groundhog Day, and I'm sure if you're if you're a coach or a trainer, maybe it's just not. I mean, I know like you travel a lot. Like if you just had to be at the same gym, the same people day in and day out, and I had this honestly, it was it was I was scared of being a 65 year old personal trainer waking up at four in the morning. Like that's what I was really like terrified of. And, and no offense if you're listening to this and like you want to be that or you are that, it's fine. It's just for me, I didn't want that. I wanted a different reality for myself. I wanted to travel more. I wanted to have more experience. I wanted to reach more people. I felt like I had a message that I could get out there a little bit more. And so I didn't know what it was going to look like to be honest. Like to answer your question, I didn't know what it was going to look like. And I also didn't have monetary goals. I think sometimes people go like, I need to be able to make like six figures within the first year. And I, I just never had that. I go, I want to reach more people and I want to just write and I want to impact people. And so we started monetizing, but that wasn't necessarily the goal. Do you have any early success or failures that you can like cling to? We're sitting here with my dog and she's, I think, is her eyes open? That's her? I thought it was a dog on the street. Bob, Bob. I thought she was having like a nightmare. God. Yeah. That's life. <laughs> Sorry, what was the question? Oh, did you have like early success or failures that helped like springboard you forward or maybe even like deter you from getting into what you're getting into? Um, you know, honestly, like fuck. I mean, it was such like the golden age of internet business when like no one was really doing it that like I had a lot of successes early that I don't know if I had I not had them, I would have been propelled to keep going. It was just like everything was hitting. It was the right time, it was the right space, it was the right message, it was like all that kind of stuff. I've had a lot more challenges recently. I've been in the industry for about 10 years and things are changing. The landscape is different, the way people are consuming information is different, the way uh, technology is so different, even the fitness industry is different. And so I had this moment, it's probably like 18 months ago, where I started getting like really just like, like just being a huge victim to everything. I was like, oh my God, this stuff's not working anymore. And I was feeling really out of my power, like, oh my God, like nothing's hitting. It's not hitting like it used to. Um, And then I had to just change my mindset to be like, this is a fucking puzzle. Like this is a puzzle. Like not everything's going to hit. Not everything's going to be home run. Like up until this point, you've been really lucky, but like you might have to like change tactics and you might have to like, like you said, the blogging, like shit, that shit doesn't work anymore. So what does it look like? What's the new, what's the new iteration? And so once I kind of made that shift, that mindset shift, things got a little more fun. Um, And yeah, so I mean, I think, you have to stay on the pulse of the industry, whatever industry that is, and it's relevant. I mean, 10 years in the industry is like a long time for internet business considering it hasn't been around that long. Do you find yourself like having to worry more and more about working 
on the business now than in the business? No, because, you know, in order to um, be able to free up time, like here's one key I'll give you guys a couple. Number one is- She's going to sell you after this. You know that, right? <laughs> Something's coming. Nothing no. comes for <laughs> um, No, I mean, I love talking about this, but I always chose time over money. I think that was like one big, and that's personal preference. I think some people are happy to just be making a shitload more money, but have no time. And I always chose lifestyle over money. No shit. As we sit like 70 feet from the ocean. It's like, yeah, I could, I could argue that for you. But the money came later, right? So like, but I think that's a, especially for a personal trainer or someone like who's a health coach or we're always in like the scarcity mindset of like, oh my God, our client's going to leave us. It can be really hard to turn down business at times, but sometimes you have to in order to open up your schedule to do some of the different types of work that we do. So like content creation, fucking takes time. It's not just the time it takes to write the post. It's like all the stuff around it, the curating, like the reading of the books, listen to the podcast. Like you have to do that mental work, that like cerebral work to be able to even come up with an idea that's interesting in a way, you know? So we're in the content business. So for me, my brain is how I make money and I can't just sit down and write on demand. Like for me, it's like, oh cool. Like what am I, what am I, what are my inputs right now? What am I listening to? What am I reading? What am I, um, what am I going on Twitter? And like, where, where am I accessing different information that is going to make my content a little bit different and more elevated in the space. And so it's different than personal training. We can just fucking show up and train 10 people with your eyes closed. With like the majority, like 80, say 90% consumer decisions made by females, do you find it being an advantage or disadvantage with the fitness space being so male dominated? Is that something you spin as a positive in your favor? Or is that something that you can, I don't want to say to a detriment, but is that something that you have to wrestle with? So you mean that a lot of, the coaches are men or well yeah i mean oh, okay. it's it's you're over it's an all boys club like every time i see the fucking rented rolls royce and the cringe worthy why the gold sunglasses why does everyone have to look like fucking pitbull when they're <laughs> fucking fitness coach but like is that is that work to your favor being something that's so like i mean in some ways you're kind of in blue water but in other ways it is yeah. it is sort of this old guard boys club fitness industry is very much a male dominated yeah. space. No, I look at it as an opportunity to be honest. Like, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you for the best life and like maybe do this episode for RX is because like I feel like that's an opportunity. You know what I mean? Like you had mentioned that you haven't had as many women on the podcast and I'm like, cool, like I don't know that my information is like very like feminine or whatever, but I do think that it's important to have I don't know. Like to me I look at it as an opportunity, like what's your listenership? Mostly men, right? Yeah. Yeah, cool. It's like a whole new audience for me, in a sense. So, yeah, like, what's your following breakdown on Instagram? I'm always curious. Yeah, eighty percent women. Is it actually? Jeez, that's why I started lifting weights. You want to know what mine is? Yeah, ninety percent men. Is it? It's so awkward. You know who comes up and talks to me in the gym? Ninety percent men. Yeah, ninety-five percent. So men. you and I trained a couple of weeks ago, and a dude came out to you. Yeah, so awkward. And you took video <laughs> it of it. Even it more awkward. It wasn't awkward. Well, it was just like I failed at my one goal. I was like 160 pounds, five foot one in the ninth grade. And go, I know what I'll do. I'll <laughs> lift weights. That'll get the girls' attention. Nope. I got the dudes' attention. Yeah. No. Twelve years later. You know, I especially in the business space, it is very like. There's a few women that I look up to in the business space, but other than that, like it's it's mostly male dominated. Do you feel like it's equal pressure from an aesthetic standpoint, regardless of gender? Like you got to bring if you're in the fitness industry, you got to you got to bring it to some respect, whether that's looking a certain way or lifting a certain way. Is is that pressure that you feel extra on to the pressure that might be put? And I'm totally yeah, fucking. No, I get it. I have no idea how the female mind works. <laughs> We've had this well established <laughs> on podcast and not. 
but it's like is that a, is that an added pressure to you to stay in shape and stay like that's the face of jill fit like is that gender specific or is that just the I think the you have to have I think there needs to be something about you that's memorable. I think that's what's hard is you know, I'm constantly asking myself, so there's a book actually on the shelf, uh, called The Charisma Myth. I saw that. Yeah. And um Olivia Fox Cabane. And the book is amazing because the whole idea is can you teach someone charisma? Because it's internet, right? Where these platforms are visual, whether on YouTube or like even, you know, your voice on a podcast and obviously Instagram's visual. Like there needs to be something about you. And I've asked myself, because I work with people all different ages, like different sizes, different like demographics. And I'm like, do you just have to be hot? Like I'm just I like I literally ask myself, like, you just have to be aesthetic to be on to be successful on the internet. And I and the answer is no, because there's a lot of different ways. So I think that's one way, right? We see that like these influencer Instagram, like people like no, not necessarily like the smartest people, but they have a huge, and they are an influencer, whether or not they're justified in being an influencer. They um, walk their walk, you know, and they're a billboard for their services, whatever. But then we have these other people who are just wildly intelligent or they can um, connect really well or they're, or they're even wildly real and raw. And there's something about that that is attractive. So I'm always asking myself, and this book actually says that, yes, there's three kind of different parts of charisma. There's um, it's warmth, power, and presence. And so I always ask myself, like, how can I teach these things? Because I'm trying to get someone to like get traction online. like, And can that be learned? I don't know if it can. But I go back to, yeah, if you're not going to be aesthetic, like that's obviously going to be, especially on a visual platform, going to help. But like, are you just extremely intelligent? Do you have better credentials than anyone else? Are you working with people who can, um, you know, are you, so there's like three, I see there's like three types of experts. There's like the uh, the role model expert, which is like the person who walks their walk. That's like the Insta famous person who just has like the six pet, like just always looks crazy in shape. And people will see them as an expert, because, whether or not it's justified because they have the status. Then there's the researcher expert. This is a person who has like the certifications, reads all the books, you know, reads biochemistry for fun, like just that kind of person who that's kind of traditionally who we think is an expert. And then there's the results getter. The results getter is just a fucking clinician, like just gets just gets results and just maybe they don't have a cert, maybe they don't even have the body, but they're just like, they just know how to get people results. And so I think ideally you want to have all three of those. So my formula would be to have a little bit of all three of those things. How do you... How much do you spend on? I mean, uh, do you know who Tony Doherty is? Mm-mm. So Tony Doherty owns a chain of gyms in Australia called Dude. Doherty's. Yes, I worked out in Melbourne. Incredible! He's he's one of the most interesting. people I was like, ever. are we in a dungeon? You know what? If you ever go, <laughs> it's like he's the got a gym. really interesting divorce story. Tony's oh, the damn. fucking man. Oh, like, well, definitely he's, interview anyway, He's I had the I had the unique pleasure to sit down with him uh, in January when I was over there, and um, we were talking about business because he's wildly successful now but he was living out of his garage for some time or something something to that effect when he was going through his divorce without giving too much of his life away and i was with my business partner ben pikulski who's like when it comes to business like he's you know he does very well in person at his gym and online and all that and he was asking him about like books he'd read about business and he's like books on business I'm in the business of people. I read psychology books. Yeah. And I was like, no shit. Now with you having to deal with different sizes and shapes and demographics, how much of your moving forward is is in pursuit of like psychology and how much is business and how much is fitness and nutrition? Like how do you balance your your self-actualization as a coach and your improvement as a coach across so many different disciplines that you really have to coach from? You know, this is, um, I'm always thinking about this from the perspective of like a client of mine. So like one of the biggest, I think, mistakes that people make, especially early on is they try to be 
um, a jack of all trades and they never break through with anything. So they're like, okay, I like, you know, weight training and I like talking about nutrition. I like talking about, you know, mindset, personal development, habit change, because we are multi-passionate. We'll put all of these things online and try to be good at all of them and like try to speak on multiple different disciplines. And you're not going to break through that way. Like you're never going to be known for the thing if you're trying to talk about all these things. And so at Jill Fit, we just broke through in, in the beginning with exercise. Like we had these short duration, high intensity workouts and like still on my social media, that's always what gets the most traction. I make the most money from business coaching, but most people come into the Jill Fit like kind of family through a fitness and nutrition transformation that they've had with our content. So even though like probably a third of my income is through fitness and nutrition programs and two thirds is through business, people don't even know they do business. Because, but because I've built trust with them in one arena, trust translates. So they go, oh, cool. Like I got this, you know, I did a physique transformation or a mindset transformation with Jill and then they find out I do business coaching. I'm like, cool. Well, who else would I rather learn from? Right. So, would you ever go full stop out of one of those? Do you feel it necessary? Like, I yeah. mean, I've talked because we've trained together, and uh, to contrast your current training style with your old training style and my training style is like, <laughs> bro, do you even lift? Like, I've twenty minutes in and out. I'm gonna crack a bottle of low, and then that's life. That's life. But it's just like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're really definitely trolling me a little bit. Oh yeah, because no, no, my eating the, is ridiculous. Don't get the wrong idea. I eat like a twelve year old. Yeah, with like. With a credit, anyways. But anyways, <laughs> um, but do you see that now, like with the majority of your income coming from business, and you seem to be more focused on business? Do you ever see like pulling away from the training side, or is the training side so ingrained in the part of business that it's actually an indirect like funnel for you from a business standpoint? So interesting, you asked that, um, and I'm still trying to figure out how exactly it's going to work. Because yes, like you need to have a niche and all this kind of stuff. And um, so last year I was in a mastermind and I was in, I was a participant in a mastermind. And for people who don't know that it is basically like you get in a room with a whole bunch of other people doing some stuff and um, you kind of like trade ideas and stuff. So it's not really like coaching so much as it's just like networking and stuff like that. And um, at the beginning of the mastermind, the very first day, everyone got up and said like what they did. And there were probably at least half the people who are doing business coaching now who started in fitness, but they started in like health or wellness or like life coaching or something like that. I'm so glad you air quoted all of those nauseating <laughs> terms for those of you who can't see this. And it's not that it's not valid. It's just, but they're 100% business. And I looked around, I was like, I'm the only fucking meathead here. Like I was like, these people like, you know, you get into health and fitness because it's a low hanging fruit. Like it's like, cool. I can make a couple of like small changes and now I exercise regularly, whatever. I mean, like I was like a hardcore exerciser for a long time. As much as like I trained for like 30 minutes now, I mean, I was like obsessed with like competition and like doing all that kind of stuff and like very much like that was who I was as a person. And I don't think I could ever leave that. I don't know that that would ever, I could ever just totally ditch that. Like I saw these people kind of doing and not to, not to say it's not fine. It's just, it's such an important part of my, my value system and my personal story and like what I just enjoy so much that I, don't, I think it's always going to be part of my business story. And I have a really amazing niche. My niche is I'm a business coach for health and fitness professionals. So if I left that niche, I would go into the bigger pool of all the people teaching internet marketing to all different types of people. So I have, there's a, it's a pretty small niche. There's, you know, relatively, it's pretty small. Do you feel like your experience as a competitor fortified you mentally for experiences in business? Uh, no. To be honest, I think sports did that more than anything. Um, competitions, to be honest, I think made me way more neurotic and way more insecure. Really? Yeah. So like sticking to a diet, doing hours of cardio, there wasn't a like a reciprocal effect of just like hardening you mentally. Like when you run into blocks now where it's like, yeah, but 
it's no, lazy. I was always a grinder, but I was a grinder in all aspects. Like I was like, I was always the hardest working personal. I was never like the best, but I was always the hardest working. Um, even when I was personal training, like I just fucking, I prided myself on being the earliest to the gym, staying the latest, having the most clients. Like that was a, a badge of honor for me to be like a grinder. And so I just, tra that just translated into co competing. So I don't know that like competing actually made or solidified that for me like still i will grind like i've been doing you know however many social media posts like writing long ass captions like i will just grind it out and i know that sometimes that's always not conducive to working on the business because you're working in the business so much i think you have to pick and choose um doing the the competition diet the very first time i did it was the hardest thing i ever done in my life i'd never paid attention to nutrition before i just like ate whatever i wanted as an athlete you know how it is what were your sports um, I did, I was a heptathlete in high school and I was a rower in college. Okay. So you had to worry about nutrition. Did not have to until after my first show I did it when I was 24. And how long were you competitive for? Seven years. Do you have people who come into the fitness side, like with the way you portray yourself now, and this is a conversation I've had with people lately is like the conversation that you choose your audience essentially by the exclusion criteria, the content you put out. Do you ever have people who try and permeate back through time and get you to prep them for shows? No. No. Not at all. Would you do it? No. What about it that you like that? Here's the thing: so is actually, I don't think I think I love that competition is more just more, so much more mainstream than it ever has been. Like, because we have all these different types of you can have like a bikini body and like whatever. You don't even have muscle to be on a sh on stage, but um, I think it is. I think it's valuable from the perspective of having a full experience. So when people come to me and they're like, ah, oh, I heard your story. Cause I talk a lot about very openly about kind of like the yo-yo dieting I did and kind of like the losing and gaining of the 30 pounds after the show and like all this kind of stuff. And just not only that's not benign on your metabolism, but it's also not benign, benign on your brain and your psychology. And so I talk a lot about that, the struggle that I went through and kind of coming out on the other side and now eating more moderately. And um, so I get people like, I really want to do a show. I've always wanted to do one, but I hear your story and I'm really nervous. I'm like, fucking do one. Like you have to do one if that's where you feel compelled and then have the full experience, whatever that is. I wish that when I did shows that people were talking about rebounds back then. They just weren't. Like this is like 2006, 2007. Like Oxygen Magazine is not talking about post-competition blues, you know, and I'm looking for people and that just made me feel super isolated at the time. Like I was like, am I the only person that's dealing with this like rebounding and gaining to come to find out? Like now it's so much more mainstream. We see um, on social media, like people are just so much more vulnerable with all of that kind of stuff. But back then there wasn't. So there's was like a lot of shame around that. I would, I'd be wearing like men's XL Hanes t-shirts around town to like hide my body, even though I was a normal size, I was embarrassed because just weeks earlier I was like fucking shredded. And so having that experience, I do think that everyone is owed the full experience, whatever that looks like, because it's their lessons, not my lessons, whatever they're meant to get out of that experience, so long as they stay aware. Well, you mentioned earlier about having to keep your finger on the pulse of like technology, right? And with like going from yeah. MySpace to Instagram yeah. to YouTube to podcast and Twitter and all that, how much time do you invest in keeping a finger on the pulse of trends within the industry across platforms? Like you, you talked about that competing now is is more pop I look at like people doing shows now, like people doing color runs like four years yeah. ago or five years ago. It's like, I'm going to do a 5K. 5K. It's like, yeah, yeah, right? It's like, oh, good for you. I'm going to do a show. So much more accessible. But do you, just from like a coaching standpoint, do you invest much stock into the changing of the tides in interest in the industry? Or do you just put out, this is my niche, this is what I do, and I'm just going to kind of Darwinistic with it. If someone picks up what I'm laying down, then cool, I'll make it. If not, then it dies. I think it's extremely important to stay on the pulse of all of that. I don't think you necessarily change as a result of it. I think that's like know what you're good at. Um, 
So I don't necessarily think that you have to change as a result, but you know, one of the things that people say a lot now is it's so saturated, right? Everything's so saturated, so many coaches online. And it's true that the space is becoming more saturated, online business space, online coaching, becoming more saturated. But back when I started, like there wasn't that many tools. Instagram wasn't around. Uh, we didn't have webinars. Like we didn't have all these different ways of getting across like DMs. Like people are selling in their DMs now. Like that would be just like, we couldn't even, I couldn't even get some, like right now you could maybe DM a celebrity and like maybe get a response. That kind of access was not available when I was coming up. So I think, yes, while the market is more saturated and while there's, um, there's also more people willing to buy online coaching than there was five years ago, 10 years ago. I mean, online trainings and apps are a huge competitor for gyms now. And so like we have to, so it's important that we see all the angles. And then from there you get to be more discerning, but like without the information, you can't even decide. So it can be a lot of work, but I think it's a responsibility I have to my clients. Someone comes in, I'm not teaching the blogging model anymore. I'm just not like, that's just not working. I would never tell someone write 200 blogs in the next year. Like that's just not going to be the best use of their time. And so it's a responsibility I have to my clients to do the, the recon for them. That's why they're coming to me. And so, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, but well, no, no, it does. And it sparks another question. What do you forecast then as like the, the next thing that like, you have to stay up on? Like, what are you advising your clients on and yeah. what are you having to take on as your own pursuit to stay? Um, I, I don't, I hate the word relevant. I hate the word influencer. I hate the word clout, but like to stay, to stay progressing. Yeah. Or even just successful. I mean, like that's the thing is like you can get phased out and not like, not in a bad way. It's just like, cool. If you're not willing to and anything, if you're not willing to evolve to whatever the next iteration of you looks like, I'm not about to become like a YouTube star. Like that's just, I'm not like fucking 20 years old trying to do that. But I do think that there are certain things that we can start to take on if it's within our personality to go, cool. Like, yeah, I could probably do a little bit more video than I'm doing. Um, so a couple of trends that we're seeing recently is what's called conversation marketing. And it's, you guys will get it immediately. It's just like people want more access before they buy anything anymore. They want, not only do they want to like try before you buy, they want access to you. They want customization from you. They need to see and experience you before a sale. And before, like, you know, 10 years ago, we had these long ass sales pages. Do you remember these like long sales pages with like a million before and afters? Those things were, it was science. You just send a hundred people to that. And we know that eight of them are going to sign up. Like it was science. Now people need to talk to someone and they should. That's why I like it is because like, yeah, they should. Like I should have to be in my DMs answering questions. Like that's stuff that's not going to scale. If I want that person's business, I have to be show them that I'm willing to do more than the next person because there's going to be someone right behind me who's willing to do all that. And so whether I do it or assistant does it or, you know, I bring on a coach to do it, whatever, I can outsource that way and I can still be effective with my time. But like I, ha I can't just stay up here and like hope that sales come in. And so conversation marketing, we're seeing people want to have a lot more conversation and access to you before the sale. Uh, video, at least a third to 40% of content online right now is consumed via video. So if you're not doing video, like you have to get better at it. We still have like, I do have YouTube videos from like 2010 were literally like the worst fucking videos. I love pulling them out just to show my clients like they how bad I was. In the bio, yeah, <laughs> they were linked in the show notes, one hundred percent. Dude, like one comment was like, "Are you in a jail cell?" Because it was a cement like room, and it was like there was a there was like an electrical socket above my head, and I was like looking down and saying "um" a million times, and like awful. But you have to start somewhere, right? And so the more video you do, the better you get at it. I do a lot of webinars. I do like a lot of, because there's nothing like to me getting to spend that quality time with someone. I'm not going to always get a shitload of people on a webinar, but the people I get are going to be highly qualified because they're spending 45 minutes listening to me talk. They're going to be primed and ready for a sale at the end. 
your verbiage is concerning. <laughs> is it though? A little bit. Well, I you know you know me like business <laughs> and me like go together like oil and water. And I get it. And like, and I appreciate your like the way you see things. I also think that the way you see things is also the reason why some of my clients don't have the courage to sell because they're scared of coming off salesy or sleazy. And I'm like, do you believe in your product? Do you feel like if you actually, if the, if the person buys this from you or they coach with you, that they're going to get a transformation that they might not have had otherwise? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, so it's a fucking disservice to, to deny them that opportunity. What's the one piece of advice you find yourself giving most often to your clients? <laughs> just make more decisions. Like just make more decisions. A lot of them are in, like that's their only job is to like keep showing up to the process. Because that's the thing, right? Is like, you know, this as a coach in anything that you're doing, if your client falls off the face of the earth, like that's, I I do believe that it's more your fault than you think it is. I think a lot of personal trainers are like, well, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And I'm like, cool. Yeah. But like we have a say too. So like I said, you don't just give the person the meal plan. You don't give them the prescriptive, like business coaching. Yeah. It's really prescriptive. Do this, do this, do this, do this. But it's also it's best practices, but there's a lot of finesse that has to come into that. So like for me, my only job is to continue to get my clients to, to show up to the process because I know if they continue to show up, we'll get better, that they will be more successful. They always say that like it takes three to five years. And I'm like, yeah, because people will bow out before three years. The only ones who are left at three years are going to be successful. Otherwise, you would have quit. And so for me, my job is doing whatever I need to do to get them to continue to engage. So a lot of times that comes down to expectation management. They're going, I wanted to sell 20 units and I only sold seven. I'm like, cool. What else? Like where, where else can we go here? Right. So it's like, it's that, can I have a, like one of my mantras is you can see something as a pain. You can see it as a puzzle. And I'm like, cool. Is this like really annoying or can we actually figure this? Like what's the solution that we can bring to the table? Like what's next? It's a pivot mindset. Like what's okay. What's the pivot? You sold seven. How do we get the other 13? Can't just be this. What else is there? And I think that managing their expectations and getting them to see possibilities instead of seeing it in such black and white way of doing things. Um, I'm your coach. I'm going to give you the steps and the best practices. But at the end of the day, like I need you to, to make more decisions and continue to show up to the process. Does that impedance just stem, stem from like a like a normal nine to five lifestyle that they're trying to break out of? Like where in their Dude, other jobs? Are... Yeah. I mean, think about it. like if you're building, you know, if you're building your online brand, it's not like a job where you just get a paycheck every two weeks, like starting from day one. It's like you ramp, we're in the trust business. So like you had to ramp that shit up and trust by nature takes time to build. And I like that because it's very, um, it's fair, right? It's fair. It's like the longer you're in the game, the more content you put out, the more lives you help, the more clinical experience you have, like the more success you will eventually have. You don't just get to come in like three months later, like have bl like blow up success. That's why when you ask me the question about when I see other business coaches out there promising and maybe over promising these things, yeah, when someone's like make six figures in three months, I'm like, it's a huge fucking disservice. And it's not true if you're trying to do online personal branding. You have to have a body of work. There's no way of getting around the fact that you need to build a body of work. Is that ever a deterrent for people out of the gate when you manage expectations like that? Like, do they ever think like, oh, well, why would I go to you when, when Buddy What's-His-Face with the roles is telling me I can do six figs in three months? I'm sure, but that's not my client, you know, and I don't want to work with someone like that either. Like, that's that's bad for everybody. So I do a lot of expectation management ahead of the sale. So like I said, transparency marketing. So I'll tell them like, cool, this is what I'm willing to bring to the table. This is what I need to see from you in any aspect, not just business coaching, but any kind of coaching. Um and I also make the long view attractive. 
like to me, I'm like, there, there's, there's an attraction that can come to you because no one wants to like have flash in the pan success. So if I'm like, cool, you can go over there. But like, if you're not, if you don't build the body of work in the meantime, like you're going to have flash in the pan success. Sure. You might have one viral video, but what else you got? And so I don't know if there's any way of getting around just getting reps and having experience. And so that's the argument that I'll make is just like, cool, like if you want flash in the pan success and you want to get like a video overall, like it's not that hard, you can do that. But what else you got? Like what are the back end systems? What are the, uh, what's the infrastructure like on the back end? How are you going to make long tail money? How are you going to make recurring revenue? Like what does that look like? And over time, you know, there's just no, I don't think there's, there is a substitute for experience. Now, how do you break out, like, you seem very, like, I don't want to say, like, myopic, but your life seems very centered around the health and fitness, even from a business perspective and your business coaching. What do you do to break of that monotony? Yeah, I mean, I don't, it doesn't come off, it doesn't feel monotonous to me. Um, I travel a lot, and I am getting more into, like, hobbies, like, things that are not, that are outside of the space. Does that thing get used? Surfboard? Oh, no, it's not mine. Okay. Yeah, no. I just started doing a skateboarding like nine months ago and I took up snowboarding like someone, three months ago. Someone gets you a skateboard for your 16th birthday? Yeah, you talking? pretty you much. Break your wrist. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> I know. I really need to get a helmet. But no, I started, I took up uh, snowboarding like three months ago. I've been like 16 times the last three months. It's Have amazing. Look at the injury rates of the two hobbies that you just, <laughs> why don't you take up Russian roulette? Jeez. I have a helmet. But doesn't so. that concern you with like, I mean, this, this terrifies yeah. me more than anything and okay. being a chiropractor a little bit more so, but like, this is my business, yep. right? Like I tore my pack and my quad in two months, two and a half months of each other last year. Like, well, that's it for me. It's been great, folks. This is where I get off. But yeah. it's like, don't you worry about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why you have to diversify. I think you have to on some level diversify, you know, both of my parents are very like come from a pretty conservative business background. Like my mom was like 35 years at the same company. My stepdad was a professor at an MBA school. Like both of them are very traditional in terms of like their favorite book is like The Millionaire Next Door, which I don't know if you know any that is, but it's basically like you accumulate wealth over like your lifestyle and then you retire at 65 and then you like play golf with your buddies for a couple of years. Like it's great. Like, and, and I'm not saying that lifestyle is not desirable to some, but to me, I would rather be having the experiences now, not waiting till I'm 65 to have them. And so for them, they don't understand anything I do. They're like, do you think that there's any longevity in this business? And I can tell you, like, the internet's only growing, like, in terms of just what offerings they're going to have. And, like, and to answer your earlier question, when it comes to staying relevant or I'm always, like, the fir- I'm always, like, the first on a new platform. Like, anytime I hear, like, any whisperings of, like, a new platform, I'm always fucking first to make an account. And just see what the utility is because like, what's the worst that can happen? I waste a couple hours and I'm like, cool, it's not relevant or like it's not working or it's not a thing. Cool. I'm back to Instagram. You're not skeptical of that? Like the conversations, I was like, yeah, but like look at MySpace and look at that. Tom was an idiot. Tom look was- at Vine. Right? Yeah, but how do you monetize that? Like how do you monetize Snapchat? How do you like uh, Twitter Dude, as a company I, can't even monetize? Like how am I supposed to monetize it? Like <laughs> there is some, what was the Vero or something yeah, like that? Yeah, that was, was the that one. For a bit? Yeah. Like, and now there's Twitch and it's like, I feel like these companies are so big now that yeah. it's like if something comes up, they just buy it. Yeah. They just buy it and squash it or they buy it yeah, and probably. adapt it into their platform. You know what though? It's You just need to be a little bit earlier and work a little bit harder. Like that's it. You know? And so I look at it like there's always an opportunity there. Cause like for every person, there's for every person being like, yeah, I'm going to jump on a platform early. It's like a thousand people are like, well, we'll wait if, and we'll see if it's something. Yeah. And I'm like, cool. I wasted a couple hours on Vero. 
being like, and then being like, this has no utility, fucking going back to Instagram. But like, I think that that if you're looking for a leg up and an opportunity switch, like that kind of stuff is important to do. How even much? just to try it to have, even just to like contextually understand fucking tech better. I don't know. Do you just gauge these pursuits like 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 a hedge fund almost? Yeah, like, oh, you have like to. One of these will hit, and then you'll the, the investment in time and the hours lost of like, all right, fine, cool, six seconds. See you because later. I don't really believe anyone has the answer. Like you asked me earlier, do I have a coach? And the answer is, I don't have a strategy coach right now because no one knows. Like I'm, I look around, I'm like, who's the best at strategy? And I'm like, they know the same shit I do. You know what I mean? They just, they've either been doing it longer or they have made different decisions than me or whatever. But like, I don't, it's not that I can't learn from someone, but I'm much more interested in learning from someone who is outside of my industry. Like, I don't know, like, let's talk about, um, you know, positive psychology or habit change or like something like that, where I don't really, that's not my area of expertise because that's going to help evolve my business into something different. It's going to be more innovative. It's going to be different than what other everyone else in my industry is doing. So like strat strategizing, you use that word long-term, is that just something that just becomes reactive? Like how do you stay proactive in an industry that the turnover rate of change is so much greater? Like you got away with blogging for, uh, what you yeah. said, up to like 18 months ago and then it's like you had to flip the switch. Now that 18 months is going to be nine months. And then that nine months, yep. the turnover rate is going to be three and a half or yep. four and a half months. The, yep. the doubling rate in which things are changing from I love it so much. The reason why I love it because is because it puts everyone on an even playing field. It's like cool, you might have started nine months ago, someone else started nine years ago. Who's willing to adapt and stay like who's willing to who is willing to put in the work? And I, I like that because it doesn't always mean that, you know, um sure there's like I have a big email list and that like is an asset for sure. But I like the idea that someone who's just getting started has an opportunity to. But what do you think the biggest downfall for people in your position are right now? Because people say people who have been in the industry for 10 years, what's their biggest downfall? Um, I think you have to continue to innovate and evolve. So one of the ways I'm doing that currently is with my podcast, The Best Life Podcast, we talk all about relationships. So that's been like a totally different, and I'm not a relationship expert, but I'm happy to talk about those things. And like, it's an outlet for me to talk about some of the positive psychology and some of the relationship stuff that I read a lot and, and listen to and have had personal experience with that doesn't really fit in Jill Fit. It doesn't really fit like with fitness and nutrition or business. And so that's been like a fun kind of creative outlet that keeps me. So again, my goal is always just endurance. Like my goal is like, cool, how can I stay in the game? How can I stay engaged? Interesting story. I was doing, I told you about that year-long program that I launched. And I was like, the second year I launched it, I was like, you know what? Let me just make it 11 months. I'll just give myself a month off, right? I'm not going to coach for a month. Dude, I was so depressed that month because I was just like, I was totally not engaged. I wasn't talking to my clients all the time. I wasn't like, I just was like, oh my God, I felt so disengaged. And I felt like I wasn't really making an impact and I wasn't feeling fulfilled because I was just like, what am I supposed to do? Like I go to a movie this afternoon. I don't fucking know. And so it, um, it was a really good experience to have. Cause I was like, that for me is what charges me up. It doesn't drain me. Like being engaged with my clients, talking to people, doing market research, like talking to people in the DM, like, yeah, does it take, is it, you know, take a long time and like really time intensive? Sure. But like, it's invaluable market research. I'm constantly, every single conversation I have, I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Like, how can I apply that to? And it's fun. What do you tell people when they ask you, what do you do for a living? I say I help personal trainers and health coaches build their online business. And if they don't know what that means, I'm like, you know YouTube? Yeah, I do YouTube. They're like, really? Yeah. You like, just yeah, boil it's like, it, distill it to the college yeah, denominator? Pretty much, yeah. Like no. people at parents' age, I'm like, have you heard of YouTube? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, I do that. 
Even though I don't even do that. What do you see moving forward? Like you talk about getting back into blogging and now you're doing like the mastermind. You're doing those quarterly, right? Yeah. So we do live events. Um, honestly, I think some of the trends we talked about conversation marketing, we talked about video. I really think that there's going to be a huge movement back to live events. Um, one, because live events are hard to put on. So only like maybe it's like a 1% or action, like no one's willing to do it because you have to put money out. First live event I ever did, I lost $3,300. But I was like, you know what? I didn't like it, obviously. And I hoped that I would be in the black. I wasn't. But it was the price that I had to pay for to be someone who did live events and to like establish myself in that way. And I just didn't know. Um, so I think you have to be willing to risk more than others are willing to risk, even just a tiny bit. Um, and I do think that live events is where we're going to get back to like having that FaceTime and that personal connection that people are really craving. Do you feel like eventually from that, the pendulum will shift back online again? Like, do you feel like it's just a coming in and Probably. out of the tide of, of people's wanting? It's like politics, right? Like we get different. eight years of someone and then we get eight years of the next person and we get eight years of the opposite. Like, yeah, maybe. How much do you think podcast is driving this? Dude, I love podcasting. I think it's in its infancy right yeah. now. Everyone you talk to has a podcast, but the listenership, I feel like, is its infancy yeah. right now. Yeah, I feel like the distribution of listeners within the podcast relative to the amount of podcasts that are there, it's like once you kind of start scratching the surface and you get up there, it's just like it's the same people. Yep. It's what it's the Pareto distribution of like 20% of the people control 80% of the listenership or something like that. It's so true. I mean, because I'm sure you have people who, who reach out to you and they, they find your podcast organically. Like we have that all the time at the best life. And people say, well, I tried like 10 other podcasts before yours and they all sucked. And like, there's just, it's, it is, again, it's, you still have to be good. And I don't think everyone's that good. You've been a, an, a guest on podcasts. Sometimes I feel like people are just reading down like a list of questions. Oh, and I'm like, the is the, it's the worst. I find I couldn't live your life because you, I mean, podcasting for me, like when I, I go do market research by listening to other podcasts in the space, like I'll go down the top 200 rank and hit fitness and health. And it's like, what are some of the common denominators? Once I'm, well, dude, the, you want to know the equation for a good, successful podcast? Yeah. It's got to be keto sex with some girl. That's like literally, <laughs> that's how you get the title. Cause I'll look at like, all right. What am I surrounded by? Like, who is my immediate company left and right at wherever we rank in the top, like 100? Yeah. And it's just like, you know, keto dude, whatever, savage. Swole. Yeah. And the, yeah. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> and now it's like, then savage there's a, swole. There's a weird, is that a real, I feel like that's probably a real know, probably, one. That's totally Someone gonna, should probably take that and run with it, though. I think it's probably already done. And we're going to get an angry message from <laughs> in the DM. But I'm sure the podcast is great. I just, I struggle with the overarching identity that comes with fitness podcasting. Like it's such bullshit. And like, what do you mean bullshit? The content's bullshit or the? <sighs> no, it's, 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 you know what? And formulaic I think the or reason what? we get along is because you, you do and have done shit. It's like people, it's like the business coaching thing. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm, I wasn't a successful business coach until I started charging thousands of dollars yeah, for my services. It's the same thing with like in podcasting. It's like, well, I never, lifted heavy weights or pursued anything with any sort of passion and sacrifice but um i'll teach you, know, you how to do it on this podcast seriously and then it's just such a country like you mentioned paleo effects a few times and i believe it's just passed i yeah, believe it was. it was last weekend and i had three or four people message me like same and people like, like you're met, here i'm like i'm not here though. i know i'm literally as far away <laughs> from that fun. i like that community a i lot. just i but i feel like it's a lot of it's a lot of talk and no walk right like it's, it it's, depends a, no I it's think. marketed mediocrity it's fucking bullshit what do you mean marketed mediocrity? i mean it's like you're you're majoring in the minor if you think your fucking cliff bar that doesn't have gluten in it is the reason you're not strong it's people who want to think that they're making a change in themselves because they don't want to face the hard questions 
and give themselves the real answers. Who decides what the hard questions are? This is always my the issue. The things that are hard to do. The oh. things that most people won't do. Like mo- like people That leaves do- a lot of opportunity though. Yeah, for giant fucking expos with mediocre people who are slightly less mediocre than the people they're peddling their bullshit products to. It's like you don't need this stuff. You need water. You need eight hours of sleep. And you need to learn how to fucking train and shut your goddamn mouth. It's not sexy though. I mean, so that's the thing. As a marketer, I'm always going, how can I make the basic shit sexy again? Because people are like, this isn't new. And I'm like, the old shit still works. So how do you, from a marketing perspective... You burn paleo effects to the ground <laughs> and every you lock the doors and everyone in there dies. I just, I just, it's a weird inundation with like hallucinogenic drug culture. Yeah, that's and weird. Brazilian like, jiu-jitsu. Everyone's fucking Genghis Khan now shooting fucking <laughs> bows in their underwear. It's like, bitch, you still go to Whole Food to get your ground bison. Like, it's such a nauseating subculture. Of all the identities I, I steer away from, like, uh, I, 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 I put on lectures. I, I educate people. I am a power, I, I do powerlifting. I, practice as a chiropractor i i work as a strength coach i avoid like again we talked earlier about being very particular with my words i am not a podcaster i am not a strength coach i am not a chiropractor i am not a power lifter i am not an educator or lecturer i do these things my name is jordan i'm not at the you're an influencer you bite your tongue that's (laughs) that's the most egregious offense of them all but it's like it's the identity associated with being a podcaster that i despise the why because what are some of the i mean I'm, we're fairly new we've only been doing this for about a year and a half what are the it's literally know, what are the all talk no walk oh, okay no one's l- willing to lay it down Interesting. it's all, so many like mediocre pro- and then when i see podcasts selling programs it's like bitch walk a mile in my shoes like you've not done it that's why i think i get along so well with you it's like you can talk to me about like being on a stepmaster for like three hours and eating like lettuce all day granted i've never done that but I get Wouldn't the struggle it. where it's like these people never struggled a day in their life. They just started like, you know, the early adopters that rode the CrossFit wave in podcasting and then they got a few big sponsors and they blew up and then it's just they had an audience and it's like no one listened to what these people say. You know, I think it's hard because um, I see a lot of people just not sticking with stuff and I think that's what's really hard about you have to, in order to make traction in anything. So going back to the conversation I made earlier, but like you have to break through with something, right? So like picture this wall here is like trust. And if I'm trying to like throw some like, you know, I don't know, um, some fitness stuff, some nutrition stuff, some mindset stuff, some personal development, some relationship stuff, right? Like all these little arrows aren't going to break through, right? No one's going to know what the fuck I do because like it's just not going to break through. But if I double down on like one specific thing and I become the go-to resource for that specific thing that fa- I'm facilitating that transformation, right? I'm going to, it's going to be strong enough. That's where all my content's coming from, or at least 90% of my content is with that in mind, I'm going to be able to break through this wall. And then the other side, I can go in whatever direction I want to. So I can take people on the business journey once they've had a transformation with fitness and nutrition. And so what I see with, especially with new entrepreneurs, people have not been in the space for a long time, is they don't stick with any one single thing. And they're also just not an expert. Like you have to be an expert actually. And so, yes, you can be an expert through just your credentials, but I think that, you know, and your story and your clinical experience, but all of those things to be in it long enough to have a level of expertise and understanding. And that's really rare. And then at that point you can break through, but you have to stick with it. Like you, you're going to sound like a broken record. But don't you feel like that they're the biggest market in the industry is selling to people who don't stick with it? Yes. So by the time you get to that wall, there's already a filter of people who have reached these low level 
mediocre, like charlatan fucking podcast salesman or whatever that that was their first like oh i'm gonna get into fitness i'm gonna listen to x and x podcast because yeah. my friend listens to it and then they're like oh i'm gonna do this program oh i hurt myself i'm, I'm done that they don't even get a chance to get to your door yeah or my door yeah i'll tell you a kind of a story what happened is yes here's the thing is most people don't implement whether it's fitness program business program most people don't implement um so i changed my business model last year because I was noticing that I was selling these lower ticket like offerings and I was selling a lot of them because I think people, I'm, I'm kind of like people's first business purchase. Like I said, they're coming from a fitness nutrition background. And so I'm their very first like investment in business and I make it super low hanging fruit. Like it's very low stakes. Um, and so I was selling this program for anywhere between like 600 to a thousand dollars and we sold a shitload of them. Like it was, it, the launch went really well, but we saw that people didn't have enough skin in the game and they didn't have enough access to me like for coaching that they just weren't doing it. And I was like, I'm only as good as the results I'm getting from my clients. I would rather take less people, jack up the price more and give them more of me and like more like like in person or like online, like, you know, just kind of FaceTime with me so that I can help them actually get a result to completely change the program this year. And, you know, so I do think it comes down to like, are you willing to do what it takes to make sure that your clients don't check out? And not everyone's going to be able to stick with it. Like not everyone will, but I, I believe that as coaches, we have an opportunity and a responsibility to get people to stay engaged for as long as possible. And that's on us. Like whatever that looks like, is it access, is it customization? Is it, um, you know, I mean, not handholding, there's a balance there, but I think that that, when it comes down to that, I don't want to sell it to people who don't do shit. Is some of that just because you value your product or value your service so high? And was that ever a transition that had to be made? Like back in the day, like if you had the same run of a, like a mid-range level 600,000 that crushed it, would you double down on that the following year and just be like, fuck yeah, let's do this again? Yes, exactly. It would, it would be a different iteration. Of course, technology is always changing and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, to me, I'm like, cool, what is working now? And my goal as a coach is to get people results. I don't care what it is. I don't. If people aren't getting results in my program, I don't have a business. That's going to come out sooner or later. Sure, I can do a launch and make six figures in a launch, low ticket item. But if people don't implement and they don't get results, like that's going to come back out. We're in the age of Angie's List and Yelp and shit like that. So like that's always going to come out. So I want to be known as someone who has integrity and whose fucking shit works. On that note, other than Angie's List and Yelp, <laughs> where do people find you? <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm on Yelp. I, I want to be. It's the worst. Don't don't fucking do it. No? I was on Yelp for clinical practice, and they call me like five times a day. If you ever oh, get a dang. call from Arizona when you're on Yelp, pro tip, don't answer it. Okay. Yeah, I had an interview with, uh, who was it? Uh, it was Under Armour for, they wanted me to write an article for MyFitnessPal. And they're, they're the person was based out of Arizona yeah. and I didn't answer call for like two weeks because I thought it was the guy from Yelp trying to chase <laughs> me down for money. Anyway, so um, outside of those nefarious places, where do they yeah. find you online? Uh, at JillFit is probably the best on Instagram and then JillFit.com. If you guys are interested in more, um, just add your email anywhere on the website and you'll get all my best stuff. Yeah, You guys, if you've listened to the show for a while, you know I don't. Uh, I don't promote anyone. I don't even promote my own business. So if you've, if Jill's been vetted to the point where she's been able to, it's really the dog that got me here, if yes. I'm being honest. But at, uh, at, uh, at Pip the Pomsky on Instagram. That's going to be, you know what? I guarantee you the dog's going to get more followers. <laughs> I'm than sure you. of it. Um, but she's no, the cutest. I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your insight, yeah. both on and off air. You've, you've helped me walk back from a few ledges over the past six <laughs> months. So I appreciate it. Love it. Thanks so much for having yeah. me.